Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. Today we're, we're talking about Behold Your God. And you'll need to be having your Bibles open to uh, Mark chapter 1. We'll be looking at 29 and following. So I'd encourage you to open that. What I want to do is uh, share with you, what does the Lord Jesus Christ bring when he comes? Now, I, I just want to share with you when the, when the exodus happened. And they, they saw all those miraculous things that, that, that took place. Uh, all the, the, the ten plagues that they went through, the seeing the, the Red Sea part, seeing all those things take place. When they got to that mountain, where God was going to deliver to them the Word of God. He was going to give to them the Torah, going to give them instruction. By the way, that instruction was to clear up most of the uh, false information that had been given by all the other peoples in that area. Actually, it had been given to them by, uh, well, I'll just say by the peoples in that area. When they got to that mountain, the thing was quaking. And God told them, don't come, don't touch the mountain. Don't be on the mountain. And they're in fire and cloud and lightning and lots of um, expressions of tremendous power. He spoke to them. And as he spoke, they said, we can't hear this. This is too loud. Moses, please go lick. Tell him to stop. We're, we're scared. We are frightened. We can't, we can't put up with that. And so Moses did do that. And they saw the great awesome power of God, and yet they were afraid of him, but didn't have the fear of the Lord. They are afraid of his power and afraid of all that, but they didn't trust him. And because they didn't trust him, they never made it to the promised land. But today, I want to share with you what happens when Jesus comes to the synagogue. Now, we had looked at that for the last couple of weeks or so. And some have asked, is there going to be anything about spirits? Yes, as we come across uh, another episode in which there is more spiritual conversation or uh, information about spirits, we're going to show you even more what the Scriptures say about those spirits. There's, there's a lot more to learn than what we've looked at so far. But I want you to notice this. What the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, brings to the synagogue. Uh, if you would, consider just what we had looked at for the last couple of weeks here just for a moment. It says that um, they went into Capernaum in 21, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And I, I hoped I shared with you there that the word Sabbath, it looks like it's singular right there. It's not. It was plural. And that surprised me because that meant this. He had been there multiple Sabbaths. That was not just a Sabbath. He went multiple Sabbaths. And the city that they're in is Capernaum. And that word Capernaum means village of comfort. It's a comforting place. It's supposed to be a place that you can go to get comfort. And Jesus has been in that synagogue now for several weeks. I don't even know how many. Just Sabbaths, plural. And as he came there, he's teaching. He's speaking the Word of God. And not only that, there's going to be a spirit that was cast out because of Jesus being present. Now, here's what I want you to see is really neat. This is the same one, the same God that was on Mount Sinai. And in all of his glory and all of his power, he's expressing himself to all those people there, and they were terrified. 
but that same God is sitting in their synagogue and they're not terrified. That same God who spoke to them out of the mountain gave them Torah. And this same God is now speaking to them in the synagogue to explain to them the Torah, to give them understanding in that Torah, and they're not afraid. Let me see if I can share with you the grand difference. And your point, first point is God is present, making the synagogue holy. He's God with us. The difference this time is that he is a part of them. He's identified with them. He's not coming as fire. He's not speaking as lightning. He's not speaking as a bugle that's just sounding out. He's speaking quietly as a man who does not have any particular appearance to him that makes him desirable. He is one of them. That's called eminence. He's a part of what he is in this creation. He's now become a part of it. He's identified with it. And they're not afraid, but they are awed. This time, it's not fear they feel, but it's the fear of the Lord. This time, they're hearing what he has to say, and they know that what they're hearing is different from anything they've ever heard before. Who is this that speaks this way? What kind of power and authority is this? So we would consider this. He's a part of them and identified with them. Letter B in your outline, he brings transcendence, proving the holy. This is the eternal word speaking the word of God with divine authority. Are, you, are the blanks getting up there? I haven't done blanks in a long time, so I didn't know if I was doing this right or not. Uh, you say, why are we doing blanks again? Well, because one individual sent in on his bulletin survey three times, please bring the blanks back. Please bring the blanks back. So I thought three times, that's, that's probably worth it. So we had the blanks. And I see he's not here today. All right. <laughs> Wasted effort. <sighs> All right. He's transcendent. That is, yes, he's imminent. He's a part of it all, but he's also above it all. The creation is not him. That's why we don't worship creation. We acknowledge creation and worship God. We don't worship creation because God is not creation. He's transcendent. He's above that. He created all of creation, so he's above all that. So he's bringing transcendence into there too. And that transcendence is the eternal God speaking the word of God with divine authority. They know now this is not like every, all, the, all the other teachers. Some way he's speaking is speaking to us in a way that makes us understand it like we never had before. We're hearing authority that we never did before. That's the same God that was out at Sinai. And now he's speaking with authority in a way that's understandable to them. Secondly, the sovereign commands spirits and they obey him. Listen, they, they were used to exorcisms. Exorcisms were not new to the, the land of Israel. They had exorcisms. But the exorcisms they had involved days of process. They involved rituals. They involved ingesting some herbs and some teas that could make you very sick. What they were trying to do was uh, get rid of the spirit like you would a disease. Maybe that uh, if we make you sick enough, you can cough this up. Well, Jesus speaks, and the spirit speaks back and says, we're gone. That spirit acknowledges who Jesus is. 
that did not happen in any other exorcism. And they're seeing something now that is not usual, something that's above the normal presence of God. And so the, uh, he, he's bringing to them now the genuine and the authentic. Can I kind of describe what I'm understanding is going on here? These are people who were living in Galilee. Galilee wasn't known as a, a, a highbrow place of any kind. It did have some places of learning, so I'm not going to say that it didn't have any learning at all. But there was a crew in Jerusalem that did not feel anything outside of Jerusalem was worth it at all. That that's country folk. That's rednecks. So in this redneck synagogue, they're meeting just like every other synagogue meets, but they're meeting there to to talk and discuss the Scriptures without the presence of Jesus. They're, they're enjoying their fellowship. They're enjoying community. This is the same place where people get married. This is the same place where they have their festivals. This is the same place they have community parties. It's a common place to them. And I like that word common because it had become common. It, it loses its specialty. You know what I'm saying? People ask sometimes, oh, I, I think it'd be great if we could just have food and drink in here. I'd I like to drink my coffee while we're doing this and stuff. Kids, let me share with you why we don't. There has to somewhere be the sacred, something that really is holy, that's set apart for something else besides the common. There has to be that place that when God's people meet together, they have a notion of transcendence something that's above the everyday common run of the mill. That's why services need to contain more of the the transcendence of the music, the transcendence of the worship itself, so that we really are thinking of ourselves as coming through gates and coming into the courts, so that we really are thinking of ourselves as who we are. Do you realize today every one of you who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are seated in the heavenly places right now? Heaven is already with us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they became aware of Jesus in their presence, strange things began to happen. The church is in dire need today of seeing the transcendence and the imminence of the Lord Jesus Christ again. The presence of Christ in our churches. We need a grand spirit revival. Maybe it's wrong for me to say churches. Let me just say church. I don't know what goes on in the other church, and it'd be foolish for me to say the church in America needs this. What do I know about the church in America? I'm an Arkansas kid living in Fairview Heights. Can I tell you, you can Google all the things you want to, and all you're getting is Googled opinions of everybody else. But this one, I long that this one be able to have the imminence and the transcendence of God so that the power of God is released every week. So that we know we're meeting with him, the one who spoke at Sinai, the one who parted the Red Sea, the one who died on the cross, the one who was raised again from the dead, the only one who's ever done that is present with us every week. Let me see if I can share with you some things that I know take place. 
This is the surprising revelation of God. They've been doing things normally, just every week, get together, they talk about, hey, it's good to see you. How are you doing, Jacob? Well, I'm great. Not yet. It's good to see you, Aaron. And just having the normal time, looking for and hoping someday a Messiah will come. But they've been hoping that for a long time. Nothing's happened yet. Still got the Romans. Still got the politics. Still got the taxes. Still got the blah, blah, blah. And it's all blah. Until Jesus showed up. And that changed that group immensely. All right? For weeks they've been listening to him teach. Oh, they've, they've seen that. But the Father's ready now to take it beyond just the teaching. And he's ready to bring to them a spirit and have Jesus cast out that spirit and demonstrate the power of God. And that's what he did. Consider this. That's a surprising revelation. They didn't, add, didn't know it was coming. They didn't ask for it. Jesus was not one of their hometown boys. His hometown is Nazareth. He's coming into Capernaum. That's Simon Andrews and Jacob, or James and John's place. That's not his hometown. He's going to come visit there. As a matter of fact, he's going to turn that into his headquarters. There's a lot of people going to be coming in and out of Capernaum. They didn't know he was coming. He just showed up. That's the wonder about the living God, isn't it? Let's go on to letter D. The need for this presence of God. Now, maybe I ought to say it this way. And I I thought my my, way through this, and how do I really want to say this? It's the need for the presence of God. If I can say it this way, he is always here. There is no place you can go for the presence of the Lord. Remember how David wrote that in Psalm 139? There's no place to get away from him. So if he's always here, why is it we don't know it? The problem is not him being present. Sometimes we're going to be asking, oh, if God would just visit us again. If God would just, he has visited us. He is visiting us. He is with us now. The problem is not him. The problem is going to always be our awareness of him. Am I aware that he's here? Have I prepared my heart so that I would know he's here? You remember when they were seeing him at the mountain, he told them, stay away from the mountain, wait three days, get cleaned up, don't eat, don't do anything. I want you to get your hearts prepared for my presence. When Solomon creates the temple and he makes that whole temple thing, they spent months in preparation after they got it built, months in preparation learning what they were supposed to sing, what they were supposed to do, what the offerings were supposed to look like, doing it just exactly like Torah had said to do. That's preparation. That's why, kids, it's so important for us to have preparation too. The preparation that's getting ready to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's great getting ready so that my awareness is ready to just at any moment I can see who he is. I can hear who he is. I can know what he's saying, Okay. So consider this with me. Letter D. The need for this presence of God. Number one, without this awareness, we are dull, boring, lifeless, and self-centered. Why is that? If I can say, I understand that Jesus Christ has come to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I get that. But I'm going to tell you this. Jesus Christ has come to complete our humanity. We are not complete without him. We are blank. 
oh yeah, yeah, we're living, and yes, we can see each other, and we can have conversation and that sort of thing, but our life is not complete without him. And I want to just share this with you today. I don't know everybody that's here. I don't know where your heart is or anything like that, but I know this. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not a complete human being. You're not all that God intended you to be. Trusting Jesus Christ changes that, and he completes people. So the first thing you see, without this awareness, we're dull, boring, lifeless, and self-centered. Letter number two, without this awareness, we have no answers, only partially true opinions. Truth, morality, and beauty are missing. Truth, morality, beauty are missing. Partially true opinions. What do I mean by that? We have some knowledge of the Word of God. We have some, and even our knowledge of the Word of God is often mixed with our American Declaration of Independence. Sometimes I don't know if we know the difference between where the Declaration of Independence takes off and our Christianity begins, or if we even understand that the Declaration of Independence is somehow based on our Christian faith. Do we even understand how those two work together? Because sometimes we talk more like Americans than we do Christians. I think we're often missing the presence of God. So we come up with partially true opinions, but they're only opinions. That's why when these guys in that synagogue had been used to listening to partially true opinions every week, when they heard Jesus, they're shocked. Here's somebody speaking the truth from authority. He's not saying so-and-so says, so-and-so says, and so-and-so said, and so-and-so said. He's telling you this is what God said. Hadn't heard it like that before. Truth, morality, and beauty are missing. You know, I, I, I guess it's, um, it seems like as we get further and further away from God, everything we do seems to be less beautiful. We don't seem to want beauty. We seem to just really like what, I, what we like to think of as called simplicity or whatever else. Friends, uh, this room looked pretty plain and simple. And some of the ladies in the church wanted to change that, and they put these banners up. Now, you're used to seeing them all the time, but they're part of the beauty of this, this uh, um, worship center. You'd be surprised at the number of people who, uh, we, we had a funeral here last uh, Tuesday, I think it was, a, a visiting church came in. And they, one of the things they want to know is, where can we get those banners? Oh, we felt so blessed to be in the presence of the names of God. Where can we get that? Where does that come from? Where did you get them? And that happens pretty regularly with people who don't come here regularly because we get home blind. We get used to seeing things. Look, truth, morality, and beauty come from God. Lies, sin, and ugliness comes from the adversary. We need beauty. There are times that my heart just wants to rise to some transcendence of just some good classical music that's got a whole lot of parts that work together for harmony. There are times that it cries out for a good choir where I can hear voices that blend well together and can carry you beyond the common. 
There ought to be some time, kids, when we're done with the common and we're ready for the transcendent. We're ready for something bigger and better. And without the awareness of the presence of God, we'll drift into commonness. You can call that profanity, if you would, because that's what it's called in the Scriptures. Without this awareness, there's no hope. If you don't have the awareness of that God is present with you, there is no hope. You're left with hoping that Biden will do something different, that Trump will do something different. You're left with hoping that somehow it will all change at the mall this year, or maybe the prices will go down, or whatever, and you're left to nothing. Without this awareness, authoritarian oppression is only a breath away. If you're not aware of the presence of God, then all, you, all you're ready to do is you're just setting yourself up for a totalitarian takeover. Listen, they weren't aware of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ up to that point, and there's a man sitting in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And that unclean spirit, just like it did with Legion later, every time an unclean spirit comes, it's not just for that one individual. That unclean spirit wants to destroy that individual. Uh, He's going to keep that individual until he can first destroy the family of that individual. And as he destroys the family of that individual, he wants to spread out and intimidate and make fearful all the other families in that area. You remember how Legion, the guy Legion, had terrified the whole community? They couldn't bind him with chains. They couldn't hold him. He was too strong, and everything he did was beyond what they wanted. And it was, they were under an oppression from that guy right there. When we're not aware of the presence of God, we're just setting ourselves up for authoritarian oppression. Let me go on to the next one. Letter five, or number five. Without this awareness, there's no revelation. If you're not aware of the living God, there's no revelation that's coming to you. You're not able to understand the Word of God. Remember, that what made them so excited was that Jesus was there, and he's teaching them the Word of God. They're understanding it. They're getting it because there is revelation then. But when we're not even interested in God being around, don't expect you're going to have revelation. Don't expect that your heart's going to be illumined any. Don't, don't expect that you're going to get better. You might get smarter, but you're not going to get better because truth, morality, and beauty are not in it. You can get academics. We can have all the academic studies we want to have, but that's not enough to change us. God is looking for transformation of people. All right. I'll go another one. He brings a lesson in his power and authority as God. <clears throat> That's the foundation of faith and trust. Look, he's got these guys with him. And he's brought these guys from wherever they've been uh, ministering. They've they've already uh, been invited to a few uh, little places to be together, and he's already taught a few things. And he's brought them to Capernaum now, and he's got to show them who he is. He's got to demonstrate to them without doing this um, Mount Sinai thing that you can trust me. How are they going to do it? So day-by-day experiences, they're watching Jesus do something else, something else, feeding this group here, casting out a demon here, healing the sick here. He's showing them who he is, that he's one of us, but he's above us. There is something special about this Lord Jesus Christ, something special about who he is, and he's teaching them about the power of God every day that they're, they're with him. You've got to learn to trust him. You see, God's made trust the 
operating principle of the whole cosmos for all time. Sometimes uh, people accuse us as uh, dispensationalists, and yes, I do follow the dispensational way of understanding Scripture. They accuse us then of saying, you have multiple ways of, of salvation. No, no, no. There is one way of salvation. By grace, through faith, that not of yourselves, is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I don't care what age it's been, that's the principle. You always have to trust whatever God has shown you during that time. If I can make my little timeline up here again with creation being right about in here and the end of it, but we're by the stands over there. God progressively revealed himself just like Jesus progressively revealed himself. He progressively revealed himself to people, giving them new information, bits of information, prophets here, men of God here. He's progressively revealing himself till in Jesus Christ he's given a full revelation revelation of who he is. That's what Jesus is doing. He's giving them this revelation. Why? Because you've got to trust him. The only way you can be saved is trusting Jesus Christ. So he's got to show them that's true. Trusting him is knowing him. Knowing him is eternal life. And eternal life is union with him. Those are some important statements right there. We'll, we'll We'll tell them apart at another time, but knowing this, trusting him is knowing him. When you really trust him, you'll start knowing him. And when you start knowing him, you're going to have eternal life because Jesus said, what's eternal life? It's knowing God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And once you're knowing him and you have eternal life, now you're in union with him. That's what Jesus prayed for you and that's what you have. So let's go to page two. What the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, brings to Simon's home in the village. So let's look at verse 29. Now, as soon as they'd come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew, uh, which I believe is going to be their headquarters from there on, with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. And she served them. What does he bring to a home? Well, I want you to get this picture here. It's still the Sabbath. The Sabbath isn't over. The, the Sabbath is where the, the man with the uh, unclean spirit had it cast out of him. It's still Sabbath. And they've walked from the synagogue now to Simon's house. And when they got into Simon's house, Jesus is still the same Jesus. You follow me? He's come into the house. The same thing that made the synagogue holy is right now making Simon's home holy. Why? Because Jesus is present in it. You know what makes you holy? Jesus is present in you. That's what makes you holy. It's not because you're a really sweet and wonderful person. It's because Jesus is present in you. And Jesus just turned Simon's home into a holy place. If I can say it, just turned it into a temple. And where the temple is, life is. And here is Simon's uh, uh, mother-in-law that's sick with a fever. I thought it was interesting. Matthew and Luke had this, the, the account of this same thing. And Luke goes on to say, and he rebuked the fever. He rebuked the fever. Do you, do you, do you, I, I saw in this, do you realize fevers come from living things? They're nasty little living things that are inflaming your body. 
And Jesus rebukes the fever that's coming from those little living things that had to hear the master say, get out of there. They're gone. A great cosmic antibiotic <laughs> just wiped out that fever. And I want you to get the picture. How many of you have ever been fevered before for several days or whatever? Okay. How do you feel after you get over a fever? Exhausted. Why? Because it cooks your body up and you're tired. When Jesus comes, the Holy One lifts her up, rebukes the fever. She stands up and has full energy. She's ready to go serve him. That's not like anybody else. I, I, I can know this. When I was laying in intensive care, unsure whether I'm having an in-body experience or an out-of-body experience, unsure of a lot of things and thinking, wow, something really hurts. And when that little physical therapist came in and said, Mr. White, we're going to get you up, I differed with her. I, I didn't agree with that opinion. But her opinion won out. And that's when I realized when I get out of here, I'm going to start doing some exercises because I had no core muscles. I'm supposed to get up. She says, you can't do this. You can't do that. And you just got to. And that man is going to involve all of this. And I can't use my hands because there's something going on with my chest. And I couldn't do anything with it. I realized you've got to have some core. Listen, I was not ready to get up. And I can tell you, I didn't take off walking. That happened a couple of days later. This lady got up and started serving them right away. She got in her right mind. She, she knew what they were for. She's got guests in her home. And she did exactly what a mother would do. I got to get my guests taken care of. So she starts taking care of them. That's what happened when Jesus comes to a home. There is service to Christ. I should say, letter B, healing of a fever. That's the Lord who heals us is bringing mercy, wellness, and renewal. Letter C is bring service to Christ and those who follow him. So those who follow him are going to benefit from this one thing that Jesus did, rebuking a fever. Now everybody in the house is going to be fed. They're going to be taken care of all from one event. All right, let me go on further. Look what it says then. Uh, he took her by the hand. She served them. Look at verse 32. At evening, when the sun had set, just, just as a little aside here, that means Sabbath just finished. So they wait until the evening, and when the sun sets, then what we hear now is about to take place. Want to know why? They couldn't do it on the Sabbath or they'd be guilty of working. They're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. So they watch. Can you imagine sitting at your home knowing, man, our little boy has got this terrible disease, and if, when the, as soon as that sun goes down, I know where Jesus is. I know where his house is. I'm bringing him to Jesus. Oh, our little girl's got a demon. Oh, this, oh, that, oh, this, oh, that. Sun goes down. I'll be at that house. And it's not like they were the only ones who thought that. The whole city gathers there. 
This is going to happen again. It's going to happen another time when Jesus is doing the same thing and the whole city's gathered again and they can't get in. So they go to the roof and they tear the roof apart. That's going to be a part of something that happened in that same house. Talk about a house that really had a lot of stuff happen to it. Wow. My point is simply this. After the Sabbath, the whole village comes to seek from him relief from their burdens. He brings the compassion of God, mercy, healing, love, and release. Look at what he says here in verse 34. I'm sure verse 33 says the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Can you imagine what kind of work there was going on there? Uh, another account says that this went on till late in the evening. There wasn't even time for them to sleep or eat. So many people showed up, they didn't get a chance to eat, and they're tired. I want you to remember that for next week because the tiredness doesn't stop Jesus from doing what he's going to do. He kept on doing that until people were gone. When Jesus comes, he brings relief. When Jesus comes, he brings his presence. When Jesus comes, he brings transcendence. When Jesus comes, he brings compassion, transformation, release, healing, mercy, what the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, brings to a human heart. Let me just say this. When Jesus Christ visits you, when Jesus Christ, when you're actually having an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ because he is that surprising revelation, he makes that surprising revelation, number one is awe. All of the people that were in that synagogue were awed by who he was. He's not like anybody else they'd ever been around. So there's awe and humility. He's bigger than we are. We don't know who he is. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. Peter comes into the presence of the Lord because the Lord tells him, okay, uh, cast your net on the other side. Peter says, I, I, I've been fishing all night. But because you said to do it, I'll do it. And now his, his nets are breaking because of it. Now what does Peter see? He's in the presence of the Lord. Peter says to him, please depart from me. I'm not worthy for you to stand here. I'm not worthy to be in your presence, so please. That's awe and humility. Look, when you're trusting Jesus Christ as Lord, and when he brings conviction to your life, he's bringing to you what your brokenness has done. He's bringing to you a need, and you see that need, and you're realizing you're standing in the presence of God. And there's humility that comes from that because you're not on your own. You're not who you thought you were. You're in the presence of God. Letter B, it brings up lots of questions. Who is this, he said? What power is this? Who's doing these things? It brings up questions. And Jesus wants you to ask questions. Listen to what he said to us in, in yet another sermon of his. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. So ask and seek and knock are what he's after you to do. He wants you to ask that question. Who is this that casts out demons? Who is this that speaks this way? Who is this that convicts me of my sin? Who is this that standing in his presence makes me feel pretty small? Let her see. Trust. That's what Jesus brings to your heart. Trust to the one who listens, receives, and enters. You're supposed to ask. If you're going to ask, what do you need to do? Listen. You're going to seek. What are you going to do? 
receive it. He said, if you ask, it will be given. You'll, you'll have an answer. If you seek, you shall find. In other words, he's telling you what the conclusion is going to be if you just do it. So if you've been confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ and you're wondering, who is this? What am I supposed to do with this? That's the right question. Ask him. Seek. Knock. It'll be open to you, friend. You'll have the answer. You'll know who Jesus is. But he's not going to give you opportunity to think your way through it and calculate what's the most reasonable thing for me to do today. He's telling you what to do today. Trust him. And he will give you that trust. Letter D. What comes to those who trust him then? He gives forgiveness and identity. He forgives you completely of what went on. There's nothing between you and him. When you trust Jesus Christ, there is nothing he does not forgive. It's over. It's complete. You're done. And he gives you an identity. You're now one of me. You are a child of God. I am receiving you to myself. That's what you get when you confront, when, when you meet Jesus Christ. And what you get is Christ's death and resurrection in your place. You get his life that was lived. You get his death that was lived. You get his resurrection. He died for you. He lives for you. And the letter E, the path to fruitful transformation. That's what Jesus brings. The path to truthful or fruitful transformation. I was trying to tell a Sunday school class this morning. When Jesus Christ saves one, it's not just to keep them out of hell. Man, that's way, way, way too shallow. It's not just to keep you out of hell. Number two, it's not just to get you into heaven. That's not it. To give you eternal life, the reason to save you at all is to make you a child of God that you might be conformed to the image of Christ. Was, was sharing, and maybe I'll, for the benefit of Kathy, I won't use tomatoes because she told me a funny story about tomatoes. If you plant cucumbers, what are you expecting to get? How about pretty plants? Would you be satisfied if when you planted your cucumber that you had these gorgeous plants that never had a flower, that never had a cucumber? You're going to look at them and say, oh, if you could have seen our plants. You would have loved our plants. I did this in Branson. Maybe I've told you, but just bear with me if I did. We planted a garden in Branson. And we got, we had goats. We had rabbits. We had chickens. uh, We had ducks and geese. A goose. Shouldn't have lived, but we had it nonetheless. (laughs) All right. So we have those things. And we plant this garden. And I'm so excited. Because I know about composting, see? And I know that goat manure is really good. And rabbit manure is just great. And I'm thinking, you can put those straight on. Chicken manure, you got to wait. You got to let that stuff cool down. There's too much nitrogen. You just burn everything up. So, man, I, I put all that goat manure in there. And I'm telling you, my tomato plants came up. Like, about that big around. You know, I'm thinking, this is wonderful. Look at that tomato plant. And gorgeous. Oh, my goodness. It just... And I didn't have to hardly do anything to them because they created their own shade. I, I could water, and the sun couldn't take the water out because it was, it was so, and, and it was just beautiful. And beans, I grew next to it. Wow, tall, strong, dark green, just beautiful. 
And when they bloomed, I'm telling you, this guy got excited. I am going to have so many tomatoes. I am going to have so many green beans. And the blooms went and died right off. Beautiful plants. Didn't do anything. What in the world? So I go back to my compost boot. Use goat manure for foliage. Uh, do not expect much fruit from. Oh no. Goat manure is great for foliage. So if you want pretty grass, goat manure will be pretty good. But if you want that grass to grow up and be wheat, ain't like you're going to do it. Kids, he did not plant us to be pretty plants. He planted us to be fruit. And he's anticipating fruit. So when we say it's going to be a fruitful transformation, he's not asking you to stay the same sinner that you were. He's not asking you just to be nice and pretty. He's calling you to stop being the sinner that you were, be transformed by the Word of God, and become fruitful in all the things that you do. Every part of your life is to be fruitful. Every part of it. That's what he planted you for. That's what happens when Jesus comes into a life. Let's go on to letter number four, how we may have what he is bringing. So if you want to have the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to have that in your life, here's what you do. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Don't wait to be humiliated. Humble yourself. If you cannot learn from your creator, you have put your redemption out of reach. He's not your equal, but your Lord. Everybody in that, that synagogue, they don't, they're not give free to ask Jesus stupid questions or to try to trick Jesus into what he's saying. No, they were there to learn from him. Now, some of them may not have been willing to learn very much, but I tell you this, the most foolish thing you could do is refuse to listen to the Creator. That's your Creator that's talking to you. This is not some uh, denomination that's speaking to you. This is the Word of God. The Creator is speaking to you. You are not His equal. You are not free to just say anything you want and make a negotiated deal with Him. Humble yourself, friend. He's offering you the only deal there be. He's not giving you permission to negotiate with him that, well, as soon as I retire, I'm going to do. As soon as this, he's not giving you that option. You may try to take that option. It isn't an option. You follow where I'm coming from? To be in the presence of the living God, humble yourself. Number two, repent of your thoughts of superiority. There is only one God. Sometimes I... I, I Get frustrated with people who want to try to argue about the, about the Word of God. Well, I don't think it means this. I don't think it means that. I'm not really concerned about what you think it means. Neither is God. He means what He says. Well, to, for, for us to think that we're superior enough that we can demand that He answer our silly questions is, is foolish. Let us see. Trust Christ. And what you're trusting with Christ is who he is. He is the Son of God and what he's done. He did die on a cross for our sins, and he was raised again from the dead. 
He lived a holy and righteous life. You're accepting who he is and what he's done. Then letter D, continuing in growing faith. Serve him. Pray. Give thanks. Love his people. Listen to him in the scriptures. Hang out with his people. Worship. And the list goes on. Obviously, there's so much room on a page. Friend, all I'm simply saying is this. We're here to be fruitful. And he came to to show us that way. He is not just another professor in a college someplace. He's not just a really good teacher. He's not just a really smart guy. He is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He fashioned it all. He made it all. He created it all. He knows every system. He knows all the algebra. He knows all the English. He knows all the things that you're studying in school. He knows them. Pray to him. Trust him. Pray to him and watch him show you what things you need to know. He gave Daniel that information. He gave Moses that information. He'll give you that information. You're not different than them. He's come to set you a new life. Put your faith and trust in him. Let's watch what he does. This wonderful, immanent, and transcendent God. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the kindness you show us every day. And thank you that you've let us see what happens when Jesus comes into a place. Thank you for letting us see what happened with Capernaum. Thank you for the guys who wrote that down. Uh, Thank you that that would have been just an oral story to us some other way, not that that wouldn't have been meaningful. But, Father, we want to thank you that you wrote it down so that us 2,000 years later can know the story and what happened on that day. I don't know who all is here today, but I know you do. Speak to that heart, Father, that you're wanting to trust in you this day. Teach them. Guide them. In Christ's name, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch.org all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.